rejoice, they said. When we go to the house of the Lord, rejoice. Good morning, church. It's good to be here today. As you can sense, there is a a nice, sweet presence of God this morning. Our God is good. He's alive and he is well. He's not a God that we have to excuse or make, you know, concessions for. But he is alive and active and he's for you and he's for today. If you have not encountered that, then I trust and I hope and I pray that you'll stay here long enough where you can capture that for yourself as the reality of what is possible and what is true. This morning, we've got plans, but I'm just going to give you one short thing here. If you can go over to Proverbs chapter 6, maybe you'll go to chapter 26. The overwhelming sense as we're in God's presence this morning is just that God wants us to wake up. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Take a lesson from the ants, and I'm reading the NLT, so I'm sorry in advance. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise, though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work. They labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit, and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Lord, I pray, have mercy on us and awaken us, Father. Touch us, Holy Spirit. Amen. This scripture came up and and just been percolating in my heart this morning and this week. I saw a stat that said that 54% of Americans in the workforce are disengaged from their work. That's a Gallup poll that that put that together, a Gallup study. 54% of Americans are disengaged from their work. That's a majority. That's more than half of people who go every single day to work have no enthusiasm, no excitement, no joy in the thing that they go to do from nine to five or longer, 40 plus hours a week. 54% is unengaged. And that number just astounds me that there can be a majority of people going to do something every day that takes up the majority of their time, takes them away from their family, takes them away from their inclinations and leisure and hobbies, takes them away from things that we might deem to be the essence and the, and the pride of life, the importance of life, takes them to do a thing that 54% of them are disengaged. And that's just related to work. But as I saw that stat and I considered my own life, I became more afraid and more concerned about a different stat that I did not want to even look up because my question is how many of us in the church, Christians, are disengaged from our faith? How many of us are disengaged from the life that Christ has called us to live? 
And I became afraid to answer that question for myself because I know I should pray. As Paul says, I should go pray. The things I should do, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't, I do. And Paul, a person who wrote majority of the New Testament, a man who was a solid believer who worked hard during the day, making his tents and pursuing what God gave him to provide for himself, his, using his abilities and his talents. And then this man who did all this work for the kingdom of God says, that which I know I should do, I don't. And the thing that I shouldn't, I do. I don't have much to share with you this morning, but I have this brokenness that's in my heart and it's growing deep because you know what? The times are evil and we need to redeem them. We're in church today, but we're not here just because we have nothing else to do. And if you do come here because you had nothing else to do, praise God that you chose to be here. I am excited for that and I hope that you catch something more than that. But Solomon, one of the wisest people, writing to his sons, those who were to be in positions of leadership, he writes and he says, look around creation, there are lessons for you. There are lessons for us to take a hold of and grab and latch onto and move forward with. And one of those lessons can be found right there in the most smallest of creatures. Look at the ant. No one tells them to work. No one tells them to seize the day. And yet they go forward in passion and enthusiasm and they burrow down deep. I don't know if you've ever had an ant farm in your your house as a kid or if you parents have gotten one for your child but you get two panes of glass and some dirt and some sand and then you put a bunch of ants in there and pretty soon you can look from both sides and you see these little creatures burrowing digging creating tunnels and making uh, abodes and chambers and and having storehouses for their foods they do all of these things and there is not one command to do so this morning As we worshiped, I just felt God saying, wake up, wake up. And I find it pretty offensive that the NLT calls the sluggard lazy bones. There's a problem I feel that so many people are going through when it comes to our life in church and our life with Christ, our discipleship and following after Jesus, of which I am primary sinner number one. Sometimes I wonder, why is it that I'm not reading more of my Bible? Why is it that I'm not seeking the Lord in prayer? Why have I decided to only fast on the beginning of the year when there should be a corporate effort with the church? It's a new year, new season, new beginning, so let me give it to the Lord and fast. Why am I not doing this on a more consistent basis? Why am I not pursuing my neighbor who is lost and inviting them to know not a church but to meet the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who is able to save their very soul, the only answer to this life? I wonder why I'm sitting there and in my car I'm listening to the news or in the car, yes, I'm being informed, but beyond that, I'm putting on a TV show. I can't even watch the screen, but I'm just listening to the words as if I need to be aware and understand the next episode and what's going to happen to this imaginary character, for God's sake. 
Why is it that every waking moment I need to have some noise going, whether an audiobook or, or a podcast or, or something else, and I'm not going to that place of spending time with my Lord? I don't know if you've ever been in this position, but I have been there more often than I care to admit and want to be. And the scriptures tell us that there is such a thing as laziness. And I feel like we have been lulled into laziness so often. The enemy would come into our lives like a lion seeking to devour us and he goes into this mode. We looked last week at how he attacks us through anger, but he absolutely attacks us through this word laziness. And laziness, what is it? If we look at this passage and you consider the ant and what it's doing, the ant is industrious. The ant is diligent. The ant is engaged in work. It's doing something important. And it's got work ethic. When we consider what laziness is, it's not the folks who are on an unemployment line and have no job. Those who are willing to work and seek to work and want to accomplish work, but because of their disability or an injury or, you know, some circumstance within their lives, they are barred and and not able to do so. Work is those who just are willing to, but choose not to and don't want to and have given up and and become quieted and comforted and, and just laid to rest. Solomon says, wake up, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones, learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer. I feel like for myself, this word just hit me this week and God is saying, Wake up. Look around. The more you see, the more you hear. It's wars, rumors of wars. It's how the world is getting more and more immoral. Well, newsflash, sinners are great at sinning. And they're going to continue to be great at sinning. And they're going to perfect their sins. They're going to get more and more creative in how to do so and get better at it. And so while we live in this world, that is happening around us. And the word of God comes saying, wake up, move forward. Why? Because laziness is not just something that might impact us here and there. Laziness is a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin for us to be complacent with one day I'll get to do this. One day I'm going to eventually get there. One time I'm actually going to open up the book. At one point in my life I'm going. The Bible says while there is still time, we are to pursue his kingdom. While it is still day, we are to go ahead and sow and reap and do all that God has called us to do. We are to engage in the work of the ministry while there's still time. There will come a day where there will be no more time. There will come a point where there is no more going back and redeeming it. Laziness is a lack of work ethic. What it is not is leisure. 
Sometimes we look at laziness and we consider this idea and we, we look around the church and we mislabel people because they're taking a time of rest and taking it easy. I'm not trying to be up here saying that we have to just become workhorses at every moment of the day and every hour of the day and we have no time for rest. No, the very Bible tells us in the 23rd Psalm that he makes me lie down in green pastures so that he can restore my soul. God intended us to experience rest, but there's so many of us that we've only learned that commandment from the Lord and not anything else. We are so complacent and so excited and so comfortable in just resting and recovering and rejuvenating and pursuing our leisure that we have forgotten the reality of the work that is necessary. I hope I'm not coming too hot and heavy today, but I just feel like this is for me, and I'm preaching to me first and foremost, and I do know for a fact that there is, if I look out there, 54% of Americans disengage from their work. I guarantee you that there are a percentage that is pretty high of Christians who are disengaged from the mission. When's the last time I made a disciple that discipled another? How many people do I have under my charge that I'm teaching them the ways of the Lord on a consistent basis? How many people have I led to, to express their faith and their desire? How many have I reached from the clutches? Not me, but the Holy Spirit through my faithfulness and obedience to come be the bearer of the good news. How often have I encouraged the addicted into a better way of life? It's never too late. I, I hope, church, that you are not experiencing me just telling you what you've done wrong. I'm speaking to myself. But I feel like Solomon is saying, Awake, O sluggard. How long will you stay in your bed sleeping? The reality is that my friends and my family members, my loved ones, are experiencing life without Jesus. And if I believe this word to be true, he says that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But the reality is the opposite is also true. If we don't place our faith in Jesus and align our lives with him, then that means that eternal damnation is reserved for each and every one of us. He has not gone to prepare a place for us of gnashing of teeth and, and pain and sorrow and forever separation from God. But that is the place in which we are running towards and those around us are running at full tilt marathon style to that place and the question is are we okay with that god forgive me for being okay with that forgive me for not taking my work seriously forgive me for not going into this place of work and diligence that you've called me to we have a mission, church. We have a plan from God. We have the greatest news that ever was produced that we who have been alienated from intimacy with the Lord can be reconciled through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who was a sinless man who did not deserve a death at all but yet emptied himself to the point of death, humbled himself and went to a cross, died and he did not stay in a grave but he came out of that place on the third day. He rose from the dead he is alive and active he's ascended to the father and he now goes and ever intercedes before us making preparations for a place that he may be with us once more i have no idea what's in my notes 
But I just, I just want you to sense this reality that us choosing to just be complacent and be, you know, um, about our business. Maybe some of us, we look and we consider our lives and we say, hey, no, I'm not, I'm not lazy. Because what does laziness do? See, laziness does a couple of things. If you go to Proverbs 26 and you look at the passages there, it tells us in verse 13 onwards, the lazy person claims there is a lion on the road. And yes, I'm sure there is a lion out there. As the door swings back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in his bed. Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouths. Lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. If we stop and consider this saying, hey, I work, I work hard, and I, pers- I put in the hours, I put in the efforts, absolutely, but look at this from a different perspective. Solomon is speaking to his sons. He's preparing them for leadership. He's preparing them from places of authority and important work to be done. Jesus has told us that we, you know, through Paul, that we are his workmanship prepared ahead of time for good works. He's got a plan and a purpose in our lives. There's things that we need to accomplish and do and fulfill. But here's what laziness will do as it creeps into our lives. Laziness makes us great excusers. It helps us to get into this track of making excuses. The man said, there's a lion outside. We become so creative and so industrious in the matter of, you know, where everything else we should be doing, we don't. We start doing a lot of activity in in the realm of making excuses. That person can't come to the Lord because, you know what, there's this in their past or this issue. I can't speak to them because I don't have enough relatability. I haven't been a Christian long enough. I can't do this because, you know, I can't preach. I can't speak the word of God. I don't know enough. I can't pray in church because other people, you know, have a better uh, 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 grasp on vocabulary than I can. And we start making excuses. Laziness brings us into that place of excuses. Laziness makes a person like a man hinged on his bed. Think about the door. A door moves, but it goes nowhere. It opens shut. It opens and shuts. It goes one way or the other, but yet it goes nowhere. A lazy person becomes this man or woman who is failing to start that which is necessary. The only movement there is is going from one side to the other. Let me turn around on my bed. Let me turn around on this couch. Let me turn around in my ideas and ideologies. Let me just think about this or that. But yet we go nowhere. All we're doing is thinking and turning and tossing and rolling over and that's it. How many of us, when it comes to our faith and our pursuit of God and seeking after him, have become like the man who hinges on his bed? We fail to start that which is most important. But not only that, he goes on to say that a lazy person takes food in their hand but don't doesn't even lift it to their mouth. Another proverb says that the man who goes out and hunts, he hunts the food, but then he does not cook it. What's the point of going out and hunting the food and then not bringing it in and making a meal of it? The person who will put his hand in the bowl, but then he gets so tired, so lazy, so complacent, so so apathetic that he doesn't even bring his hand up to his mouth. The lazy person never finishes what he starts. Lord, I'm going to get around to doing this. 
Lord, I am going to close the deal. I am going to follow back up with this person. Lord, I am going to continue in this track, in this discipline. Proverbs 26, 16. The lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. As we fail to start, as we fail to finish, as we become experts at making excuses and telling why it can't happen and why it's not going to happen and all of these different things, we grow in our pride thinking that we're better than everyone else. Have you found that a lazy person, there's no, there's no sense in speaking to them and trying to give them knowledge and wisdom or correcting them from their evil ways? Why? Because in their own minds, they've been puffed up and raised up in pride and they think they know exactly what they need to do or what is right and what is wrong. I'll get to it. I'll do it eventually. It's going to happen. When? Don't ask me that. That's too definitive. How? Don't ask me that. That's too, that's too intrusive. Friends, I just sense that if we are going to be genuine, if we're going to pursue the Lord with all of our hearts, if we really want to do this thing called church and Christianity and discipleship and follow after Jesus, then I do believe that we need a wake-up call from time to time. I do believe that sometimes we need to look ourselves squarely in the mirror and say, I am so sorry, God, because this person I see here is not living up to your standards. And just look around. Look around, and you'll see that this is true. Look around in your own life. What is it producing? I was talking to my wife, and I say, Honey, I am sorry if my laziness lately has become an instructor to you in what is approved and acceptable unto the Lord. Forgive me, for I am not setting the example that you need. You're not hearing me cry out in my home. You're not seeing me on my knees. I can't tell you the last time that my son interrupted me in my prayers. And that hurts me. It's bothering me. And if it's bothering me, I imagine should it not be bothering the rest of us? Why? Because a fake fire has never warmed a single person. What the world is looking for is genuineness. It's authenticity. It's not going to be the mug that we give them at the end of service that will get them back, but it's going to be the Holy Spirit reaching into their lives and changing the circumstances and the fabric of their family. It's going to be Jesus bringing hope where life was just distraught and broken and completely in shambles. It is Jesus stepping in and redeeming the addicted and transforming the hopeless and telling the adulterous woman, go and sin no more for I do not condemn you. This is the gospel that we serve, Jesus Christ who loves us, and we need to step in with diligence in a hard work ethic. If we don't, we're only deceiving ourselves and we're leading a world astray. I saw a video just yesterday with my wife as we were driving somewhere. And she was just completely, completely, like, infuriated over this. 
It was a video, I'm not going to say the denomination, but of a church service where there was an interview being performed in a church setting, a service where the priest was asking children what they thought about Mrs. Pentecost, who was a transvestite, drag, uh, drag dress, I don't even know the terms, but this was a person who was clearly confused about their identity and performing something. And the words of the priest was, it tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and therefore we have to be transformed into not letting the world dictate to us the things that we need to understand. He took it completely out of context and he was telling those kids that they need to be open to the idea of accepting and becoming something outside of the norms of the scriptures. The Bible tells us that in the last days, that which was wrong will be edified and lifted up as right. And that what was right would be deemed wrong. That in the last days, there would be men and women coming to tickle our ears. And that's all we wanted. Well, let me just tell you, church, that Jesus Christ, when he came, he brought a sword. When Jesus Christ showed up on the scene, he did overturn the tables. It is not a free ticket for us to just be belligerent and angry. We talked about that last week. But it is a charge for us to be serious, to consider the things that are absolutely crucial and evident and important. And some of us might be saying, you know what, I am an industrious person and I'm a a diligent man or a woman. I do not have laziness within my family or within my life. I work hard, I provide, I go every day, I put in the hours. But let me ask you this question, are you just as diligent in your marriage are you just as diligent with the raising of your children are you just as diligent with your study time in the word are you the same level that you've been always knowing the same exact scriptures and not memorizing any other scriptures and not bringing it into your life and bringing it out of your life are you doing the very same things you always used to do or are you progressing the lazy fails to start they fail to progress they fail to finish they make excuses and they are filled with utter discontent proverbs 21 says that they will not receive the desires of their heart. They will not be content. I remember when God was calling me to leave my corporate job and to step into a place of ministry of which I am still learning to be obedient in that calling and knowing that I am so far from the man that he called me to be and wants me to be, but I praise God that I'm not the man I used to be. And I remember when God called me, the very largest sense that was in my heart is, Lord, I do not want to succeed at something that does not matter. But I want to be in the center of your will and do that which you've called me to do, that you've separated for me to accomplish on this world, in this earth, and in this life. I wonder, have you asked yourself the same question? Are you engaging in the work that actually matters? Are you pursuing passionately this call of Christianity? 
It's not a call to come and see all that I'm going to do for you and add on to you and bring into your life and do for, thank you, Lord, that you have all of that as a byproduct. Seek first the kingdom of God and he shall add all these other things onto you. It is an amazing promise, an amazing blessing that we get to experience, but that is not the original call of Christianity. The original call of Christianity is this, come and die. Follow me, pick up your cross, Pick up your cross. And that idea of picking up a cross does not match with my recliner at home. It does not match with the idea of just filling my life with all these activities and hobbies and everything that I would love to do. And hey, there's nothing wrong with being restored. The Sabbath was there. It's, the, it's one of the commandments. God rested on the sixth, seventh day. It's important. But... The reality is that we have gone overboard. I really hope you guys don't stone me later on, but that this will just be something that the Holy Spirit might just prod in your heart today. What do we do? It is a sin for us. Why? Because God, at the very beginning, when he put Adam and Eve on the, in, in, in the world, when he created Adam, the very first thing that God did for Adam and gave Adam was work. He gave him something to do. Some of us have this idea that we are not to be so busy at work. That we're saved by God's grace. Amen. But God saves us, and as a result, it produces work within us. Because we have been saved, we can't stay still. Because we have been saved, we cannot sh- stop but share the word and do the work and and preach the gospel and bring hope to the hopeless and restore the broken and bring forgiveness to the guilty and go ahead and, and bring calm to the anxious. We are to do the work. Why? Because he has so abundantly overwhelmed us with his love. He gave Adam work in the garden. And some of us say, well, no, work is a curse. The laborious aftermath, the toil is a curse. Yes. But God gave Adam a purpose, tend this garden, take care of this garden, name these animals, subdue this, manage this, go ahead and lead in this. God gave him something worthwhile to accomplish. And he does the same for us in his body. My question is, do we have that perception? Have we come to a place where we are just looking at ourselves and and, and saying that anything goes... There's going to be a day when we stand before God and it won't be a matter of our salvation. If we've said yes to Jesus and we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, we've placed our faith in him and we followed after him, it's not a judgment that's going to come in terms of our salvation, but it'll be a judgment onto our works where he will look and take everything we've done and throw it in the fire. And that which is stubble and hay and wood will be burned up, but that which is of precious metals, that that which is of good value, that which is of his kingdom will last. And that is something that he will reward. Some of us will get to that day and we'll stand before God and we'll just get by through the skin of our teeth and say, thank you, God, I'm here. And he's gonna be grateful that you're there too. But there won't be crowns that we can lay before his feet and say, Lord, this is what I've done for you. These are the amazing things that I've had the opportunity to do for you, Lord. And I just want to give it back to you as a love offering, as a worship unto you, Father. Have you ever heard of the Stradivarius violin? See, 
This is not a violin that is sold for 20. The worship team can come on up. I, I feel like we got to get back to this altar here. This is not a violin that is sold for $29. It's not a, a violin that you go into any music shop and say, give me that Stradivarius right there. I want to take it. I'm an aspiring musician. I want to make some beautiful music. I want that Stradivarius. See, Stradivarius can be sold for $4 million. One was sold for $16 million, of which I can't imagine a single musician going to buy because I don't, I don't know musicians that are that wealthy, especially as you're starting out. But it's not $29, it's millions of dollars. And what makes it so? What sets that price? Well, for one, there's very few of them in the world. So if you've studied anything in terms of economics, you realize that, hey, just like we went through this pandemic, there's a shortage of computer chips and all that stuff, and those go in everything, so everything goes up. If there's a low supply and a high demand, the prices increase. Well, there's low amounts of these Stradivarius violins in the world, and so it jacks up the price. But not only that, Antonio Stradivarius, the man who made these in the 1600s, this man had a shop and he believed of, of getting this special type of wood that was made of a, a low-density composite, and, and he would make it and curve it and shape it in specific ways in which when you added all of those combination of things, the wood and the uh, craftsmanship, it created a resonance in that, in that instrument that created a sound that was like no other. It produced a beautiful sound because of the resonance of the makeup of that instrument. But I think it goes beyond just that. Because here's something that I found astounding. Antonio was so diligent in his work that he did everything within his power, within his shop, to make those instruments as near perfection as possible. Because he says God needs his music to go out into the world. And if the instrument is spoiled, the music shall be spoiled. And God does not deserve spoiled music. What about that for diligence? What about that for work ethic? Is that the perception that we have when we look at spending time and serving our family? When we consider, you know, reaching out to that neighbor who's lost and broken and needs the gospel, is that the attitude that we have? God does not deserve spoiled music. But his music needs to go out in the world and it needs to be good. Is that the attitude that we have when it comes to Seeking his face. Lord, you don't deserve spoiled sacrifice and offerings, but you want the very best. Lord, you rejected Cain's offering, but you accepted Abel's. Lord God, there is something that you are desiring and wanting of me. Am I giving you just my crumbs? My poor efforts? My little activity? My once one verse a day? Bible reading. If that's where you start, praise the Lord. But please progress from that. If your prayer is just sharing God the, the things that you need and the prayer list that what's going wrong in your family, amen. At least you're communicating and talking to him. Praise God for that. Continue, please. Can you move on from there too? 
We're to pray for the well-being of our leaders, our nation. We are to seek the good of the city, as Jeremiah told us. There's more for us to do. We need to progress from the little, and not just have this attitude that it's just a little bit. Coming to church is not gonna get you into heaven. Opening up your Bible from time to time is not going to get you into heaven. Leaning on the coattails of your family member and friends who has a solid relationship, growing, thriving relationship with the Lord is not gonna get you into heaven. But what is, is your growing, diligent work in pursuing the master. What's going to make a difference in this world, in your family, in your neighborhood, in this community? What is going to revive this church is us stepping into that attitude of diligence saying, I'm going to pursue God and serve him with all that I have. I'm going to give him my very best and not just my minimum efforts. I'm not going to just be a disengaged believer within the church, just showing up and punching in, clocking out. But I want to go excited church it really bothers me and I'm just being transparent you can choose to do this do something of this or not but it hurts me when I open up my eyes and worship at 10 o'clock when service starts and I see three people here I'm not I'm not trying to, to to be mean today But that tells me something, that if there's three of us coming when it's time for us to start worshiping God, I know that there is a variety of things that happen in our world. I got kids. I've had throw up and poop and blowouts right when I'm leaving to go. And it makes me late. I understand there's a variety of things. You worked the late shift, you worked overnight, and then you just hit the snooze and you overslept and now you're running to church. I get that. But somewhere along all the variables, it still bothers me and and the question comes up, could it be that we're just sleeping? That we're not serious? And if it's something so simple as when we gather to meet and worship and celebrate and praise the living God, I wonder why, where else is this overflowing and spilling into our everyday existence and fellowship and discipleship with God? If I can't show up early on time, before time, to be the, the, the hand that's going to extend God's grace and love to someone new who's coming in the church building that day, who's never stepped in, who is looking for an answer, who is broken and dejected, you could be the one that God uses to change a life. I wonder, how is this playing into our work, our play, our leisure, our family, our dinner table conversations? because I don't think it's much to ask to just show up on time. I'm international too, okay? I'm from Brazil and we're not known for being on time. As many other nations aren't either, so it's not something exclusive to Brazilians. But I wonder, could this also be flowing into my prayer life? Could I be making excuses why I can't pray? Martin Luther had so much on his plate and he would say whenever he got so busy and things were so crazy, he's like, my life, my work is so crazy and hectic this week 
this day that I can't afford to not spend three hours in prayer. See, we all have the same amount of time. We all have to work. We all have to do family stuff. And, and I'm, sometimes I wonder myself, like, where am I going to fit this in? But it's not a matter of fitting it in. It's a matter of making time. So my invitation for you this morning, hopefully I didn't douse it with cold water, what the Holy Spirit was doing here this morning. I just sense that God is calling us to wake up. He's depending on us to wake up. He entrusted his gospel and his plan to you and I. There is no plan B. There is no other option. There is no one else who's going to come riding in on a white horse and save the day. He has sent the salvation and the hope and it's being entrusted to his people, the carriers of his good news. It's entrusted to you and I to make a difference, to live this life of genuine worship, to pursue God with the tenacity, to be the light on the hill and the beacon of hope. So will you stand with me today? The altars are open for whatever reason that you need to be up here. But let me just make this agreement with you so that everyone else who chooses to stay by their pew and and just spend a moment with the Lord here, if anyone comes up here, it's not because they're coming in repentance because they've been a failure at these things and sleeping. You can do that business right in your pew. So if you want prayer for anything else, if you want God to just touch you in any way and want to stand together in faith, believing and praying, I invite you to come. I'll pray with you specifically. But from your seat, I want you to just contemplate. Do I have that attitude of Antonio Stradivarius? That everything I'm doing, I'm doing with diligence. Paul said with fervent diligence. Romans chapter 12. Fervent, that's boiling point. Not boiling point to the point of anger and frustration and you're tearing everyone down, but are you a fervent believer? Do you fervently pray, read, speak, live, obey? Are you fervent in your job doing it? Because you're not just doing it for you. When you see your patience, you're seeing patience for God. When you're meeting and doing that open house, Vera, you're doing it for God. You're touching the lives of people and meeting needs of families and individuals and in doing so with your utmost and your best effort, you are shining the light of Christ in their lives. Forging an opportunity to care and provide and meet a need whereby once you meet a need, you can plant a seed. Father, I hope that you are honored in this moment. That you, Lord Jesus, speak to each soul here today.
I know that this does not rest on just one person. But you've carried your mission. You've entrusted it, Lord God, to your church. And you declared that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So I thank you, Lord, that there is goodness and that there is hope, Lord God, within you. That there is a promise, Lord, that we can latch onto and believe. That you will fulfill that which you've started within us. And you have something good for us to do. So, Father, I pray that you would wake us up, Lord Jesus, to step into the arena full, fully engaged, fully diligent, excited, enthusiastic, with anticipation in our hearts, and, Lord God, boldness within our lips. That, Father, we would be invigorated once more to not just give our minimum effort, but, God, as we start to give everything back unto you, that we would do everything as unto you, Lord, that you would honor that effort, that you would open up doors before us, Father, that you would give us opportunities, Lord, that you would, Lord God, expand our territories, that, Father, you would give us the very places which our souls, Lord God, the soles of our feet touch. I pray, Jesus, not that we would say, look what God has done for me, but, God, that we would say, look, Lord, what you have allowed me to do for you. Thank you for the influence that you have poured into my life. Thank you for the measure of grace and faith that you have given me, Lord God, that has now changed and shifted the environments and circumstances around my life. Lord, I pray that if we have been, Lord God, warming ourselves up at a fake imaginary fire, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the yearning and burden and desire for the genuine truth. That we would, Lord God, seek the real deal and say today is the last day that we are okay with a marginal Christianity, with a, Lord God, uh, a superficial Christianity, a superficial discipleship. But today is the day, Lord God, that we want to press in to what is truly what you've called us to. That we would be undaunted in it. That we would roll up our sleeves and say, Lord God, here I am. Send me in this fashion, full of faith, full of boldness, trusting in you to go beyond my mere ability. Lord, I pray that you would stir us. As the worship team worships, take two minutes at the very least. Shut out your spouse, your son, your daughter, your neighbor. And just talk to God today. Ask him to review. Ask him to help you review how you've been following after him. And the good news, church, is that he is a loving father no matter how you can answer that question he's going to say to you it's alright son it's alright daughter come here let's move forward from this place same God who said to the adulterous woman where are your accusers he'll say neither do I accuse you of this now go forward 
and pursue and work in the manner in which I've called you to. God bless you.